0: It's Betsy with the Dickey Foundation, and you're listening to Dickey's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. I'm thrilled because my guest today is Drew Denton. He is the president and CEO for Phoenix House Texas, and he's been with the Phoenix House since 2013. He's spent his career helping others through counseling. He is finishing his advanced degree in positive psychology and also has an MBA and a master's in education and an alphabet soup of letters following his name, but he uses it all to build innovative and effective programs for those struggling with addiction. Thanks so much for joining me today, Drew. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. So for folks who don't know, know you as well as I do, tell me about yourself, uh, your work with Phoenix House and how you came to be where you are now.
1: Sure. So, you know, as you would said, I've been with Phoenix House for just around the last 10 years or so so i started after school in the for-profit um, sector of adolescent addiction treatment i knew i wanted to work with adolescents i knew i wanted to work with substance use and, and mental health disorders uh, and quickly found that the nonprofit space was a place that i really wanted to be in came over to phoenix house as a counselor and have really just stuck around for the last decade or so and. My role has just really evolved a lot beyond what I originally thought, you know, it ever would or could. Um, so it's just been an absolute blessing and a really, really fun adventure to be able to work for such a great and amazing organization like Phoenix house.
0: So speaking of for folks who aren't as familiar with Phoenix yeah. house, tell me about Phoenix house and the work that you and your team do there.
1: Sure. So Phoenix house, what we do is we provide, uh, we do uh, residential outpatient and prevention services for adolescents 13 through 18 throughout Texas. Uh, and two things that really make us unique is one, we make sure that we provide the, um, those services without access, without um, requiring any, any payment for the family. So we make sure that financial means are not gonna be a barrier for anyone. If people meet criteria for treatment, need treatment would benefit from it. We make sure they can access it all right
0: so no insurance requirements no mm-hmm. none of that no,
1: yeah we're in we're in network with all major insurance Medicaid's, but then we utilize a lot of state uh state funds but we do a ton and ton of fundraising to help cover the cost of treatment for families well and
0: a ceo you know all about that you just started there yes and, you just yes. started as ceo it is, in it october is, yeah <laughs> it is, it's definitely
1: quite a bit of fundraising you know and there's there's a lot we try to do at the state and federal level to try to increase the funds that are accessible to kids but we you know Kids are not able to choose their financial situation. You know, We don't want it to be a barrier. And right now it is the biggest barrier to people getting access to care is the inability to afford it. I mean, some treatment episodes, anywhere from 50 to $120,000 per episode, even if it's just wow. for 30 days. So a lot of people just don't have the financial means.
0: So but talk to me kind of like, when you're talking about these episodes and the treatment plans, kind of what, what are we talking about treatment? And, and yeah. kind of, obviously we, we've you know people people are familiar with addiction but kind of talk to me more about that you know it's one thing if someone's having you know an extra glass of wine at night but really kind of what we're talking about addiction and what we're talking about at that level yeah is right.
1: so we're dealing with someone who has a substance who have an identified substance use disorder so their use whether it's with alcohol or any other substance is starting to cause negative effects on their life whether it's with their school whether it's with their work their family financial situation Uh, We see everything from where it's beginning to cause minor problems and we're in kind of early stages of prevention or intervention while people are still doing really well in school living at home to extreme cases right after um, a series of overdoses or an overdose coming out of a hospital or detox situation. And we cover basically the whole treatment spectrum from early intervention all the way up to uh, right after a patient would be leaving a hospital for detox. So we're meeting patients at a variety of different stages in their treatment and we're able to kind of work them up and down uh, that level of care as necessary. If they're needing more support or after residential, being able to transition them into outpatient programs and at-home programs and things like that.
0: Well, and you're working working with, um... all right, so tell me about the work that you're doing at Phoenix House, because again, you're specifically working with young people, with minors. Yes. and talk to me kind of why, how those, look, those addictions look different. They're dealing with different things than someone who's got the stress of a job or a marriage or having their own children and the things that the, the kids are dealing
1: with. Yeah, the vast majority of Americans have experimented with an illicit substance use or done some type of substance use um, by the time that they graduate high school. So it's really a critical point to, to definitely try to get involved in early prevention. A lot of adults that deal with substance use disorders. Um, the research and kind of data shows that that's a time frame where a lot of these things started, but there just wasn't necessarily the recognition or the resources in place to be able to address it at that age. I think what's a little bit trickier with adolescents is your typical adolescent is kind of prone to high risk behavior, not really showing a lot of insight or judgment kind of along their normal lines and even without substance use disorders. So it can make it a little bit trickier. You know, how much are we dealing with just kind of typical adolescent behavior versus where does this cross the line? Um, and then just kind of, you know, especially in in kind of that late adolescence, early young adulthood, a really, really strong kind of normalization of alcohol use really makes it a little bit harder to to distinguish or catch. Hey, this, this might be an alcohol use disorder versus what is appropriate use, use of alcohol. Right.
0: Because I mean, you know, kids, kids do things that kids do. We've all been teenagers, but there there's also when it, when it becomes a clear problem. Absolutely. Yes. And so you also, you have residential facilities in Mm -hmm.
1: Texas. Yeah, we have a residential facility in Dallas and then we have a residential facility in Austin. And then we have outpatient programs in Dallas, Austin, Round Rock, Houston, and San Antonio. And then we do prevention in Dallas, Austin, and Houston in schools and community centers.
0: But that's, it's statewide domination. You're coming in to help people all across the state. Yes, and there's
1: still many more, many more places we need to get and do, but uh, our two big residential facilities are in those two cities.
0: That's fantastic. So you've been with Phoenix House now for nine years, uh, coming up on, coming up on 10. That's exciting. Um, so what, what drew you to them in the first place?
1: Um, I think the access to care was the big thing for me. I mean, there's so many people that need these resources and just have no ability to get it. So knowing that, the financial barrier wasn't gonna be there for these patients was really important to me. Having worked for for-profits before, that it was really challenging as a clinician to have to abruptly end or deny care due to a family's inability to afford the services for their kid or for the kid to not be able to get access to the care they want because they don't have the funds and their family might be disinterested in pursuing treatment. So it's it's not something that is chosen. I think that's where addiction really gets kind of the bad, bad rap is the this kind of misconception that this is still just like bad people making bad choices and not really understanding addiction as a disease. Uh, That these are people that need access to treatment. It's something that's treatable. There's resources that are available. um, And and no one would choose this, you know, the, the results and outcomes that these kids are having to face and kind of go through. So the ability to make sure that they get that care regardless of that situation was, was really attractive to me. And then beyond that, Phoenix house's willingness to be, uh, willing to kind of innovate and approach treatment in a new way, and we've been able to really work to design kind of a new treatment model that we use there that makes us really unique, called the ICANN model that we work with, uh, and that's been a big reason uh, as to why I've stuck around with that Well, and that, that's
0: a really innovative model. And you you helped come up with that. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more about that model and kind of what that looks like and yeah. how you're helping.
1: So traditional treatment really comes out of the like the criminal justice system. I mean, for the longest time, treatment centers really were just kind of putting drug and alcohol counselors into a detention type setting where people were in sales in cells doing jail time, things like that. Uh, so this was an opportunity to provide actual meaningful treatment as opposed to you know what had predominantly been shame-based interventions, really punitive, really this idea that you had to bottom people out, make them feel kind of bad for their choices to kind of build them up. Uh, we see nationally when we perform treatment that way the completion rates are about 30 percent, 30 to 35 percent on average, so really really poor. Uh, We work to implement a um, strengths-based approach where we use solution-focused counseling, strengths-based principles, um, a lot of the same things from positive psychology, we use the VIA character strengths assessment from UPenn and Dr. Seligman and all the positive psychology research. It's very similar. I noticed in your signature, you have the Gallup strengths. I do. I've
0: got, so, got so, Gallup strengths. Exactly. 100%. So, love yes. the StrengthsFinder.
1: So, so very similar concepts. So our patients come in and they take a, a very similar strengths assessment and then their treatment plan is built around those strengths and resiliencies that we know they have. So rather than a list of here's everything that's wrong with you and everything you need to change, here's five things we know you're Good at and here's how we're going to use those to overcome all the challenges that you have before. So all of our redirection, treatment planning, and everything is built around anchoring back to those five, like top five character strengths and the things that they do well. Uh, and we've seen that when that's fully up and running uh, and everything's doing what we need to do, that we've had, been able to have more than double the national average for completion rates with our kids. That's huge. Our length of stay is anywhere from four to five times as long. And we know that the, the more the, uh, time and treatment you can have, the better the outcomes start to get especially once you get past the 90 day mark so we've been really really happy with the outcomes that we've been able to see with our patients by running this model
0: that's remarkable okay so what's your top strength then
1: mine uh honesty but it's it's kind of a boring one so (laughs) (laughs) i like I, i go to my creativity and then uh social intelligence for sure which is definitely helpful for rapport building with the kids and being able to, you know, keep up with them and everything.
0: Well, absolutely. And, and you, you shared that you have a personal story. I mean, you, you've been mm-hmm. where a lot of these kids are now. Can can you tell tell yeah. me that
1: story? Yeah. I started, I mean, I, I battled with mental health issues almost my entire life. I mean, I'd been in and out of psychiatrists and counseling and on and off of different medications for as long as I could remember um, having challenges in schools and with my family. You know, I, I had two very, very supportive parents growing up, but I just had a lot of mental health issues that I was really struggling to work with. And then uh, I would say around seventh grade is when I started using um, substances and started having problems with substance use disorders, which of course made mental health issues worse and kind of spiraled out of control from there. Ended up dropping out of high school, getting expelled out of high school rather, um, starting to have some rich, um, legal issues that were mounting up. And then my family got me into a residential treatment center out in Utah um, and then I went to treatment there for quite some time and then followed up by kind of like a therapeutic boarding school that I went to after that, that was also in Utah. And then from there went to um, college TCU, which that's a unique transition going from extremely structured treatment environment to a wide open kind of college campus and experience.
0: That's that's a heck of a transition
1: there. It was, you know, I had, I had a lot of resources in place, you know, that's back when I was going to, you know, 12 step meetings every day, I had a counselor, really connected with my family. Part of the reason I picked TCU was because my family had moved to Texas during that time. So they were a local resource to me. They were living in Arlington when I was in Fort Worth. So um, I definitely had a really, really strong kind of support system, uh, but I did so much better in college than I did in high school, honestly. It really felt like it it was a good environment for me. And I, you know, Obviously enjoyed it. I Keep going back for whatever reason in a few years <laughs> to find to find another degree or find something the next to do. degree. Or What's psychology? the
0: current degree plan that you're on? Uh, masters
1: in Applied Positive Psychology at UPenn. Okay. So, what? now So, so talk to me what a master's in positive psychology looks like.
0: Positivity is in my top five, so I'm that's very. That's good. Ready. Yeah. 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 So
1: no. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, the, the experience is great. I mean, so I've been reading up on positive psychology forever, and I've been you know reading Dr. Seligman's work and all these different authors and all these different books and. Um, and researchers and research articles and then it was an instagram ad of all things that let me know this program (laughs) existed and dr seligman is still teaching in it to this day and all these people that i've idolized for so long um, are either the professors or guest speakers in the program so you're really getting to learn firsthand kind of the the foundations of it Um, but really what it is is uh, treatment and the medical model has been so focused on deficits and diagnosis and what's wrong and this is basically the antithesis of that. It is uh, where well-being comes from, where happiness and subjective well-being and positive emotions—where do those come from? What produces them? What are the outliers on the top side, as opposed to trying to take people that are below average and get them up to the norm? Studying those that are exceptional and positive and maybe above, and how do we move the norm kind of in that direction? So uh, that's one of the things we're actually having to practice a lot: is you know, how do you elevator pitch? this topic and really trying to narrow it down. But uh, overall, you know, the study of well-being and how to help people.
0: Uh, I feel like your elevator pitch is, it. it's like the secret to happiness.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of the workings everywhere. You know, you, you see the themes that are present, uh, but it's, it's just been amazing to learn about and just see all the correlations it has to, you know, health and workplace success and all the different place, places that these, you know, these principles really make a meaningful impact.
0: So, you, so you had the challenges, challenges growing up, made it, made it through TCU. Obviously, working on your umpteenth degree now, yeah. uh, which, is, which isn't really exciting. I mean, but to 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 a to a young person who's listening, I mean, what what do you say to them? It's like I, I hate to go with it gets better. I mean, it does. It absolutely does. But but what do you say beyond
1: that? I mean, I think there's resources available. I mean, don't don't be afraid to ask for what you need. Be able to look for what you have you know I, I mean I can speak to Texas and I'm, I'm sure this gets widespread beyond that but there's you know there's Phoenix houses everywhere and a lot of people just can kind of get that sense of hopelessness that maybe there's not resources there or that they, they look and the first option doesn't seem like a good fit or way outside of the financial budgets usually the problem but you know keep keep scrolling keep looking down typically the expensive programs are the ones that have paid to make themselves be those top results so so look a little bit further down and you'll find some of these programs and uh, you know, I think sometimes the catch is that people assume because it's low or no cost that it must not must not be as good. But to know that not only we're doing, you know, a program like this, but offering it free, a really cutting edge, innovative program is great. So there's there's tons of resources out there for people to get. Um, just being willing to look and being willing to ask for help and get what you need and access those. Resources.
0: Serving those Instagram ads then. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) Apparently, stay on Instagram. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's becoming more common for people to talk about mental health, but there's still some stigma. And how do you all work to get around that, whether
1: it's with a a child or with parents? I mean, it's hard. You know, mental health, you know, COVID helped mental health. You know, I think a lot of people were forced to really kind of struggle through some mental health issues or, uh, it really kind of forced our our country kind of as a whole. And a lot of people on an individual level to really recognize how severe and significant some of these mental health issues um, are. And I think it brought a lot more attention to the needs. And I've seen a lot more resources come up, especially, you know, obviously COVID moved everything through kind of like telehealth and those types of options that are available. Addiction seems to always kind of lag a little bit behind, you know, there's, there's still that kind of stigma around choice that's that's present there. You know, it's it's easier to be empathetic someone who's dealing with grief and loss or depression, for whatever reason. People, not for whatever reason. I mean, I, I suppose there's some understanding to why people struggle to empathize with someone who's dealing with a substance use disorder because there's this perception of just they're just choosing. To right. Do. They're like, we'll
0: just put down the glass of wine or right. just don't smoke that joint. And
1: the and the symptoms are just so much more. Uh, antisocial. You know, we're not talking about, you know, maybe they're not getting out of bed or they're crying. Uh, the, the symptoms appear as manipulation or um, arguing or theft and other things. But, we, you know, it's also the only disorder where we've, we've essentially criminalized the symptoms of it. You don't get depression tickets or, you know, anxiety, court fees, but, you know, possession or being under the influence, which is a symptom of a substance use disorder. There's you know, there's legal fee, you know, uh, legal implications associated with those types of things. So I think, you know, the fentanyl epidemic and opioid epidemic that we're in right now is certainly getting more attention brought to substance use disorders and the need for treatment and prevention uh, in, a, in a really alarming way, though.
0: So when when we're talking about kind of what the work that Phoenix House is doing, I mean, what what kind of percentage-wise are you all saying alcohol versus opioids versus other yeah, like
1: so I mean we we see you know use of marijuana almost across the board with the vast majority of our patients with adolescents, Alcohol is becoming more and more rare actually for us. We you know, it, it's something we, we almost never see um, Depend, you know, like a like a daily user a lot of times we'll see maybe binge use or like, you know Kind of associated with like parties or weekends or uh-huh. things like that. It's the most prevalent um, Use disorder for adults and as a whole but for adolescents, it's a lot less common after that, we're, start, we're seeing opioids. Before it was uh, benzodiazepines like Xanax and Klonopin was adolescents, main, mainly secondary drug of choice. But now we've seen that switch to you know, Percocets and other opioids. A lot of them being illicitly manufactured, laced with fentanyl. Um, so we're beginning to see a lot more of our patients come in addicted to opioids um, and having had an overdose or experiencing overdoses when they relapse. Uh, a lot of it due to, fentanyl that we're seeing in the u.s right now
0: well i mean and that's really scary i mean that opioid epidemic this has been this has been building now for mm-hmm. for a number of years but i mean it just uh it, it's just gotten so much more prevalent i mean and when, what can parents do to to try i mean there's there's a limit to you know when when a child walks out of their house you know and they're going to school and they're around their friends and things like that but what what is a parent to do
1: Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to start it with, uh, unfortunately, maybe some, a little bit more of like installation of fear. But like, I think the first thing is, is not thinking that you're immune to it. I mean, opioid overdoses have now become the leading cause of death for an American for car accidents, for suicides, for cancer, for a lot of these things combined. Wow. Dying from an accidental drug overdose um, is the leading cause of death and fentanyl alone Ages 18 to 45. So we have one substance that makes up the majority of those those deaths that we're seeing, you know, I think we declared an epidemic when we were around 90 people a day were dying of accidental drug overdoses, and I think our most recent study showed that we're over 300 a day now.
0: So, just in
1: the U.S., it's, it's not an issue that other countries are seeing anywhere like ours. So, this, this is
0: specific, really, to yeah, the U.S.
1: This is not a global issue. And, and, and then, Texas, you know, Mental Health America 2022 did a study, and Texas scored 51st for access to care. So, we are really, really struggling. They, they included D.C. So, we okay, got, I was like, yeah, yeah, I, was yeah. Like, I
0: was like 51. They, was yes, like, okay. they included
1: D.C. So, we were able to get worse than even the 50 states. Wow. So, we have. We have, you know, per, per this study, the worst access to care in the country with the um, worst access, access to care as, as country goes, and then the highest rates of overdoses compared to, you know, developed nations and other countries that are out there by a, a tremendous amount, an exponential amount, us before some of these other countries, as far as what we're experiencing. Two years ago, I think we had you know, 30% growth, 15% growth, um, over the last year in overdose deaths. And then adolescents saw like 120% or something like that in overdose deaths. So it's, and that's consistent with what we saw around two years ago with COVID is when we really saw opioids kind of make their way into adolescence. So bringing it back to the families, I don't know that I offered a lot of advice as much as just panic. I mean, it's, but, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's but definitely
0: but panic and scary. I think
1: it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really important to know um, how widespread this is. And, you know, the thought that a certain area or or, you know, or class or school or setting is is immune to it is is really dangerous. You know, a lot of these people, um, the the thought that this is someone actively using just all the time or has a substance use disorder is not the case. We went to a round table with Senator Cornyn, the the Dallas mayor and the Dallas superintendent. There were uh, family members that had lost kids that were sharing about um, their opioid overdoses and talked to, you know, I think multiple of them were were in college. You know, someone thought they were taking like an Adderall to study, or someone thought they were taking like ecstasy to party, or some maybe just like these one time isolated uses of somewhat more standard or normal kind of like college experience drugs and wound up being laced with fentanyl and having a fatal overdose. So it's not people, you know, no one is seeking, you know, the, these overdoses uh, more, or, or this outcome. I mean, that's by and large overwhelmingly accidental. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, the
0: idea that I mean, people, people take Adderall in, in college and, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're bumming Adderall off yes. the so they can make it do an all-nighter and yeah.
1: it's killing them. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, having having access to Narcan is really the best thing you can do. I mean, it help temporarily reverses an opioid overdose. Uh, there's there's lots of websites and resources where you can get it for free. Um, and and the patient that we ha- had brought from Phoenix House to that same round table to share was alive because he, was at a friend's house and the mom happened to have narcan because her son had a history of a substance use disorder so when he overdosed she was able to use the narcan which gave ems time enough time to get there save his life and then he was able to eventually admit to a treatment program
0: okay so we all need to get narcan narcan and have that in our purses definitely uh, or you know pocket or whatever it is i mean so so other than that i mean what, what are we supposed to do as a society? I mean, as a group of people, and, and that that's just this epidemic that is just raging across our country right now. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I really think embracing and really making an effort to understand addiction as a disease and what's really going on. I think it's, it's, it's all too easy to kind of assume that this is you know an issue for a certain type of person or certain types of choices or a certain part of town and recognize that this is a human condition That anyone is susceptible to. You know, addiction does not discriminate. It does not care your race, it does not care your gender, your age, your class, any of those things. I mean, it will affect anyone and everyone. Um, But sometimes our treatment options do. So I think it's first recognizing and helping drop the stigma around addiction that this is something that can affect everyone to open up for people that are probably have issues to talk about but are afraid to talk about it because they think it says something poor about their family or their kid or their husband or their wife and they're having these issues and they don't want to bring it up because they think that implies there's there's something wrong. So I think opening the door for people to talk about it. And then second, opening the door for people to access resources, you know, because I think although addiction is not discriminatory, I think a lot of the treatment options are, you know, they're not available to everybody. We need to find a way to make sure that anyone can access them. You know, that's a big part of why I am where I am, because we make sure regardless of your situation, if you need help, you can get it.
0: Well, it was interesting. I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about the Orange Block program, and it was really interesting. They were doing it in Botswana. They're rolling out a similar program in New York, and it's the idea. That it's this Orange Bench, and you have volunteers or people who are trained. They're not necessarily a mental health professional in the sense of a doctor or things like that, because people do have issues and they they want to talk about it, but maybe they, to your point, they can't afford it or they don't think it's a big enough idea to to do to, to go to a professional but it's the idea of kind of a community kind of coming around someone they they recognize that that need for community I mean so so if someone you know feels that they're needing that community if they're needing Phoenix House what it what are they supposed to do I mean if for Phoenix House great if they're hearing this and they're in Dallas or they're in Texas you've got Phoenix House but elsewhere what what are they what are they going to do
1: as far as like what their resources are going right. to be right what
0: kind of reason how, how do they even find that or how about how about if a parent is, is suspecting and, and has figured this out with their child, what are they supposed to do?
1: Yeah, so I mean, one, one of the best ways to access care that I've always relied on is uh, SAMHSA, the Substance Use Mental Health Services Administration, S-A-M-H-S-A, has a treatment locator that you can Google search and look up and you can let them know I'm looking for substance use or mental health. I have insurance or i have medicaid or i have neither i have nothing here's what i'm looking for for an adolescent adult a male or female what's in my area and they have that nationally to help people access um, resources Uh, there there are a lot of available resources out there there's just there's not enough you know i wish i could say like this is the one thing you always do and it's always going to work and it's always going to be available Um, but you know if, if you're in texas you know, you're an adolescent, you need substance use health, you don't have insurance, you have mental health issues, there's five treatment centers in the whole state that you can go to. We run two of them, you know, and once we get the girls program back up in Dallas, there'll be two programs in the entire state that have beds for girls. So, I mean, there's just, there is a massive shortage on research, uh, resources. So that's where prevention really comes into play, you know, working with your school, your school board to make sure that they've got a prevention program. You know, there's, there's good grant funding out there, and that's a lot of what we do is going into the schools to offer these. You know, there's, there's a really big return on investment for treatment. It's certainly worth, you know, um, governments investing in. There's so much in uh, the cost of the criminal justice system and people being out of the workforce and hospitalizations, car accidents, all the things that are associated with continuing to use substances. But the return on investment for prevention is even, even higher beyond that. Um, so, making sure your schools, communities, all of those get some form of prevention program in place.
0: Are there signs in particular that someone may be having a, a child, maybe having an addiction issue that like parents or teachers or loved ones should be looking yeah,
1: for? Yeah, you know, I so I don't like to rattle off the normal kind of like red eyes, this or that. What I like right. to say is deviation from the norm. You know, people tend to follow normal patterns of behavior. If you've got someone that was, you know, tired all the time and now all of a sudden they seem wired 24 7 and are all bouncing off the walls it's worth looking into controversy if you have someone who's normally really high energy and really outgoing all of a sudden seems very introverted or a, a, a sudden change in friends a sudden change in financial situation or change in clothes any type of deviation out of the norm I think is worth listening to um, but also trying to come from a place of just like empathy and under, understanding I think that when families can kind of fall susceptible to that overly punitive approach and not really working, and I think you, you shut the door for the open conversation. You know, you, you really want to pursue getting honest answers, not the answers you want. So you really got to make sure you create a comfortable and safe space for your kids to talk with you about it or have someone that they can talk to about it. Um, if it's all met with just consequences and punishments, and I mean, it's, that conversation's gone for good. Absolutely. So
0: what do you find to be the most misunderstood thing about addiction?
1: I would say that that it's a choice, you know, and I I think people really struggle struggle with that concept still. Um, I I think that they don't they don't um, that it's a choice, and that what they see as bad behaviors are really just symptoms of a disease, and not recognizing that those are the symptoms. And we go after treating the behaviors, we go after treating, you know, trying to get them to not have drugs on them, all those different things, and we miss I think the underlying issue all too often.
0: Well, and it was interesting that you mentioned that addiction is a lagging indicator. Yeah. Because it's it, it comes along with mental health. And so if, if, if the mental health can get addressed first, then you can head, hopefully head off addiction before it. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it depends. There's there's different schools of thought. I mean, some people are going to, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to stabilize someone on medications and truly address what their mental health issues are if they're under the influence. It's also really hard to get someone... Uh, abstinent from substances if they've got all these co-occurring conditions that they're trying to maybe self-medicate with I think it it almost always goes hand-in-hand the research shows you know it's like 50% of people with substance use disorders also have a co-occurring mental health but I mean I wonder how many patients have just been uh, undiagnosed or haven't been in front of a psychiatrist or haven't been appropriately it's assessed you know our experience is that it's it's much higher than that but we know at a baseline it's at least half nationally that's
0: amazing. Yeah is is there, is there kind of looking at your kind of career? And obviously, you've been a counselor, and obviously, confidentiality. But has there been an experience that you've had that really either kind of touched your heart or really just changed how you do things?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's really just like the culmination of it over and over again. I mean, being able to show that you can use these approaches to have such successful outcomes. I mean, the I think it's the moments when the patients or the families really kind of highlight that this is the first group of adults to talk to them about like what they're good at. You know what I mean? These are kids that are just so resilient and so strong and have so much to offer and so many different resources. And they have just been labeled addict, junkie, delinquent, problem child, you name it up and down. And then to be brought in an environment where they were told, you know, um, you're creative or you're a leader or you're really intelligent or you have these different strengths and these different resources. And then from Just for them to, you know, express how much that meant to them, Um, I think the most meaningful things are the things that don't. That's just so simple and so obvious to me that you know that this is what you should do and how you should treat people. Um, But it's it's definitely very emotional uh, and tugs at your heart to hear that they just they haven't heard that in so long, and you know families too will give us the feedback like, you guys see my kid how I've seen them their whole life like I've known that they were that way. And I've been trying to get teachers or other people to understand, like, he's not or she's not this bad kid. You know, they're this really good kid. So they, they talk about how reassuring it is to to work with people that see their kid the way that they do and instead of these behaviors that are going to symptom a distraction from who they really are.
0: I love that. I, lo- I love that people are so much more. Than, it's, it's important to see people as so much more than their Absolutely. addiction or their disease. That, that, that certainly is is remarkable there um but kind of you spent you spent your career obviously helping a lot of people so who are you know two or three people who've really made the difference for you
1: um like in my career just kind of as mentors or i mean
0: just, you're, you're gonna go with personal and you're gonna go with mom and dad because i mean well, yeah. I, yeah but i mean kind of are, are there others who i mean and shout out for mom and dad do yeah. you doing an amazing job but are, are there others who, who made a difference for you
1: i mean our our board chair hill feinberg is I mean, he's been there since day one that I started there. I I, I don't even know how long he's been with Phoenix House, Texas, but I mean, he is such a busy man and so much to do. And he invests his whole heart into that organization. And it is, you know, as a nonprofit, we're, you know, it is critical that we have a strong board and he's just done such a phenomenal job leading our organization. Um, He is there every Thanksgiving is there every christmas i mean it, it is 100 something he is so committed to and as i've kind of moved through the roles just for him to be able to take me on as serve you know now is essentially my boss but as just a mentor for so long so long he's just always done such a phenomenal job providing just such excellent coaching and mentoring and advice but to meet someone that's just so committed to the field who's you know not boots on the ground but finds a way to truly get involved on the on the days and in the ways that really really matter has just been special so he's he's been really inspiring to watch and it's a big reason I I stick around with the organization for sure
0: well it sounds like you're doing just amazing things there Uh, so so what what would you give as kind of the best piece of advice that you would give someone or that's been given to you
1: man, that's hard (laughs) <laughs> best, because <laughs> it's got to be the best, right? Simply, the the so, best in, piece the immo- of in the immortal ever, words
0: of Tina Turner, simply the best.
1: Simply the best advice I've ever been given. <laughs> oh man, um, let me think on that one. Is that okay? Uh, you, okay you let me get, think, can let think let me on, think that, on one. that one. I really, <laughs> want to try to give you the best. <laughs> okay,
0: so here's the question: What question have I not asked you that I should have asked you?
1: Hmm. Um. We save the really hard questions for the end. I know. You got me all tripped up here now. <laughs> everything, everything had a good rhythm until you got to the last two questions, and they're total curveballs for me. Um, I don't know. I feel like this has been really, really thorough. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I always tell myself, I swear, every time I get a microphone, I'm just going to scream my head off about the need for resources and the lack of access to care, and I think we got to talk a lot about that because I really do think it's important people understand, you know, not two things one how bad it is but just how hopeful it can be you know and how treatable and preventable this can, this can be with access to these resources and i think we got to spend quite a bit of time um talking about that um i don't know i mean i would say my best advice is, is finding something that is you know we talked about the strengths finding something that you can do every day that is in line with those strengths. I mean that that's what we use as a way to try to help our patients through the recovery path. That is how I try to structure my staff and our organization and our teams around putting people in positions or roles or departments that align with their strengths and that's how I've tried to live my entire life with the careers I've chosen and I mean people all the time are on my case about, you know, you Teaching it, you know, your professor at TCU, your CEO of Phoenix House, you this, 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 and this, and this, and it's just like none of it feels like work. It is just, it's so much fun. Like I genuinely enjoy everyone I get to work with, everything I get to do. Of course, there are moments of stress and I get tired, but I, I do not experience like burnout at all. Like I just, I just, it's a, it's a concept I, I have to really work to make sure I can be empathetic to other people for because I just get so excited on, on Mondays um I mean I'm like a TGIM kind of like backwards guy like I'm just so I, mean, I think yeah. you're
0: probably the only TGIM I'm with I know you I, I I'm with you I love my job I think I've got the best yeah. job in the world it's fantastic I'm not sure I'm quite to TGIM level but we uh, I can get you there I'll get I'll get there
1: yeah I I so I I think you know you know go take the via character strengths assessment and find out what your top five strengths are and I know they have a ton of resources on the website and being able to find something that utilizes those—I mean, everything great I've seen happen or I've experienced has come from putting those strengths into into, into practice.
0: Absolutely, like I said, I did this, uh, the Clifton Strengths Finder, yeah. and it, I mean, it's life-changing. Uh-huh. It, it really is. It's, it's remarkable.
1: And, and It's what we originally we originally started with. That we used Gallup, and we mm-hmm. we, we have every kid take it and um, all that, and then we moved over just because this was so much more in line with kind of the direction we were going. But very, very similar concepts ideas you get your top five everything but i think i have my old print out of those too <laughs> it's in all our staff email signatures they put them on their doors i mean it's just woven in the, let's learn a little love it yes
0: absolutely all right so i, w- I w- i'll hit it, hit you up with a softball question your favorite Dickies meat and favorite nicky side
1: uh gotta be the brisket sandwich sliced not chopped And then I don't know if I want to go with the waffle fries or the mac and cheese. Well, we
0: actually just recently changed our fries and we have a hand cut fry,
1: which is even better than the waffle fry. Then I'll go with the hand cut fry. There you go. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so at the end of all of our our interviews, we we finished with the lighting. Two choices if you're going to give me your favorite. All right, we're kicking off with an easy one barbecue beans or jalapeno beans?
1: I'm allergic to beans but I like jalapenos. So no beans for you, <laughs> no, no
0: beans for Drew. Um, sweet or unsweet tea? Unsweet. Chopped or sliced brisket? Sliced. Sauce or no sauce? Uh,
1: sauce if it's hot.
0: Like the spicy sauce? This, yeah. Okay, yeah, we've got, we've got the spicy sauce, we got you. All right, are we going with brisket or pulled pork? Just brisket. And last but not least, ribs or wings? ribs. That's an excellent choice. I'm a rib <laughs> girl too. But hey, y'all, thank you so much for joining me. My guest today has been Drew Dutton. his president and CEO for Phoenix House, Texas. Uh, if you want more information about Phoenix House, where can people go? PhoenixHouseTX.org. I love that. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Drew. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.